Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis and Rob Schwartz. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Brian Dolan, and he's the CEO of a company called Work Reduce. You might be interested in our chat today because Brian and his team have mastered remote working. Brian, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. First things first. Now, what does Work Reduce do? And I want you to explain it so my mother would understand, not like how your fellow Dartmouth smarty pants people <laughs> Work Reduce provides talent to the media buying industry. We have a distributed team of people who we lease to our clients, lease or lease to own, and we provide service desk support to our customers. So what does that mean in simple terms? This is a people business. We've got people. All right, listen, my mom listens to the show, and if she gets it, I will hear from her. And if she doesn't get it, I will hear from her. <laughs> I hope no, I passed the no, excellent. This is a very interesting and extremely relevant business in today's environment. Exactly. I mean, just speaking of today's environment, even before the pandemic, Fast Company was reporting that some of the most innovative companies had anywhere between 25% to 57% of their teams working remotely, and that those remote workers were sometimes 22% more successful in their initiatives compared to non-remote folks, for example. Obviously, in a post-COVID world, we would expect these numbers to have increased, obviously. But Work Reduce has been virtual since day one, which is really interesting. And you guys were really an early pioneer in that remote work model, very specifically for sort of creative and ad agencies as well. Really curious to understand how your business has shifted, obviously, since March 2020. Sure. Well, one big shift is being remote is no longer a differentiator for us. Right. So now I'm competing for the same talent that my clients are coming to me for. Mm -hmm. So that's causing us to really look beyond where we've been searching for talent in the past, but also to focus back on what is unique about working for WorkReduce and why you might want to work for us instead of going to an agency. And for us, you know, we can offer people an experience that's a little bit more like a consulting company where you can go and work at a whole bunch of agencies right. instead of having a job hop. You get the same experience, right? And you get to see you know, a lot of different cultures and, and maybe find one that's good for you and end up going to work there, right? A, a large number of our employees you know, convert to full-time mm. at our agency clients. But we're now starting to look at a more international workforce. And we're starting to look more closely at, at training our employees. And, and we are an employee-driven company. This isn't a freelance marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of important reasons people want to be employees as opposed to being freelancers. And for some people, freelancing is super awesome. Other people, it's a headache, right? And, and we're offering that employee experience. So we're going international, we're training people. And when we train people, for example, the feedback we get is phenomenal because this is a talent constrained industry right now. Yeah. So, so Brian, let, let me just get this straight. So I would come to you, I would get my paycheck from work reduce, but I may find myself working at, at another, at an agency or yeah. mind share, a media company. 
name an agency. So we're active in every holding company and a large number of independents. And you're effectively working like white label mm. at these companies. And this is a model that's really common in everywhere except for say media buying in particular, media buying and media analytics. And you know, a company like Google, 50% of the people are what are called like externals. And you just have a different color name badge. You still work for Google, but you're getting paid through a third party. Mm -hmm. And that tends to focus on less core, uh, the, the, the work areas tend to be kind of less core functions, right? Early in my career, I worked for Nokia, the cell phone company. And at that time it was gigantic. And, and again, like 60% of the people were called externals, right? And, and worked through a third party. And there are a lot of benefits for that. And, and some people argue that that, in particular is, is a major efficiency driver for large corporations. And one of the reasons that they've been able to continually increase profit, you know, over the past 20 years. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you, you started kind of talking about the talent and employees at, at WorkReduce and kind of the value for them. Just tell us a little bit more about your clients and kind of the shift in how they've been responding to you guys and, and has your sure. companies increased, for example. Yeah, well, so our business has more than doubled since July, really? uh, to put it in perspective. So uh -huh. it's, it's growing really fast. It's an exciting and, and like challenging time for us. And it's interesting. The CEO of one of the largest media buying groups in, on the planet, right, tried to buy us you know, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, hey, Brian, I can't pitch you as a capability unless I own you. Which I think is A, not true, and B, emblematic of a certain kind of media agency mindset, right? We have to, hey, we're a people agency. We have to own the people. But a better way to look at it is we're a people business and we're the best at you know, sourcing all different kinds of talent. And that's something I think in the creative world is like super common, right? We got freelancers and stringers and subcontractors and whatever, and that's been a lot less common in media buying for whatever reason. So people are now are being forced, I think, to rethink that mindset. And it's a great opportunity to collaborate. So people come to us and they're like, oh my God, my client increased the scope of our work by 50% because they like what we're doing, but we don't want to tell them that we can barely keep butts in seats let alone add more people. And we help with those kinds of problems. So it's like, hey, give me a team of eight analysts. Boom, we love that, right? Airdrop in a group of people, it can help stabilize the culture because let's face it, I mean, agencies, it's tough work, right? It's a little bit of a burnout culture. I mean, not like any industry is, you know, a walk in the park, but it's kind of known for it. So if you can bring in the right people at the right time, it can, it can really help that. And, and right now people are being forced to make some really interesting choices. Last year, a lot of job cuts, we all saw it. Now everything is roaring back. Yeah. And some people have said, peace, I'm out of here, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a constrained talent market right now as people are trying to get back in. And, and there's still uncertainty. Where are things right. going post-COVID? We're not really sure. Am it's I a willing good hedge. To, is, it, yeah. is it time to hire FTEs? I'm not sure. Let's call Brian. Yeah. So pragmatically, Brian, so the agency, so let's, you know, let, let, let's use an agency. Let's use a TBWA agency, like say, I don't know, Lucky Generals. Right. Would Lucky yeah. Generals, they do the deal with you like, how does it work with the agency? Are you the agency calls me up and they're like, "Hey, we've got you know either there's two there's two main modes. One is, hey, we've got four open seats, and I need 
I need media buyers or analysts or a creative executor to fit in that seat. And we virtually kind of airdrop that person in mm -hmm. for three months, six months, two years, whatever the time frame is. Mm -hmm. And they're working as an agency team member, right? Mm -hmm. Fully white label. Nobody knows any different. They've got the email. Nobody has a phone anymore, but if they had phones, you know, you would call them through the, the agency phone, right? They're on Slack. They're on whatever your, you know, your uh, internal systems are. So fully kind of virtual team member. Or we also have, you know, what we call a service desk where we're putting together a team where it's less about the people and more about the function. So a team that's responsible for data quality. So you come in every morning and our data quality team has double checked that all the data feeds loaded correctly, your reports are correct, you've got your daily pacing report, whatever it is that you need in the morning mm -hmm. to be effective, and that's just been taken care of for you. So that's for reporting, ad ops, data quality, creative transcoding, you know, some basic creative production, nothing fancy, nothing like true creative, but execution work. Okay. Uh, All right. Good. There are two big models. Yeah. All right. So, so one step deeper, the person who is under WorkReduce, are they getting their benefits through WorkReduce? They are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we've got wow. um, healthcare, 401k, FSA, Wow. Uh, death and disability, short term, all like, you know, and it's been a process. Like, we're not that old. So, we've been mm -hmm. slowly cranking up the benefits that we can offer. And as the business gets bigger, it's easier to amortize that cost across a lot of people. It was a little wow. tricky at first. Yeah. So, it's you're fully, cool. yeah, yeah. It's very common in, uh, especially like technology, you know, finance. If you go into Deloitte, the people at the front desk of Deloitte don't work for Deloitte. And so what does I've that mean? I've noticed that. I, I did see a difference. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and what does that mean? So if there's a problem, so what that means is for our customers, they're doing less work in vetting and sourcing and training the talent, right? We've taken on a lot of that cost. And that's where we focus a lot of our businesses, being really good at identifying talent. And then if, hey, something happens, you know, um, employee goes out on sick leave or decides to quit the industry or what have you, we can swap in somebody really quickly. So those are all kind of hidden costs that the agencies normally bear and that we're taking on, right? And they're, uh, they're really grateful for that. This is, this is basically the privateer model. So you have sovereign entities that hire you guys to be like <laughs> pirate ships. I get it. I get no, right, but, yeah. but this is really interesting. I think, I think it's a big disruption in our business today because there's a, a, a need and a desire to create these cultures within agencies, agencies, the best agencies have cultures. And yet here we have some very talented alien life forms coming in to support us and they may go away and it sort of disrupts the culture. So it, it's, it, it's fascinating. It does. Or, or you know, and, and we talk about our people as, you know, we're, we're the doers, right? We're the get shit done people. And, you know, we've built our own culture around that. So mm. we're bringing people into these agencies who are here to get the job done. They're not here necessarily to help you build the culture. They might. And having people who get the job done, that's a great mm. aspect of your culture. Mm. Right? But we're here to get it done, parachute in, make things more efficient, be very responsive. But... Also, you know, not necessarily to go to your cocktail parties. You know what I mean? Or go out. You'd be invited, afterward. by the way. We're we're, we're generous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
our parties are pretty cool. Actually, I don't know what's happening this year with the Christmas party. But uh, so. <laughs> it's on. Asha, it's oh, on. Okay. I've, I've, I've been in a meeting on it already. It's interesting. Oh, thank goodness. All right. I'll wear my mask. So, but I think, you know, what you're talking about, the talent as a talented person myself, Brian, you know, I think, you know, it, it is really resonating. And I think it's really interesting, especially when you think about the talent churn that's going on specifically within the advertising agency. And of all industries, you know, you've mentioned tech like Google, you've mentioned consulting companies like Deloitte. You know, when we think about the big creative agency model specifically, this is where, you know, you've got an average retention of about a year and a half to two years before people crazy. sort of jump. It's like one of the fastest in, in any industry. And so you've done some articles, you've got a POV in terms of the way that agencies can potentially sort of retain their best talent. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, churn is horrible for your business, yeah. right? It's a massive hidden cost. And so by paying people too little and causing them to churn, you're really putting the brakes on your business. You're losing institutional knowledge. How do you build a culture when half the company is turning over every year and a half, right? It's kind of impossible. So, you know, if you look at our employee base, right, and bear in mind that our business has doubled since you know, mid last year. Yeah. Our average employee has been with us for two and a half years. So when you think about that, most of those people are brand new, we tend to retain people for a long time. So we have a lot of our own institutional knowledge, which is great. I think there's a big opportunity right now for agencies to transition to a way of working and thinking that retains people. And I think if they do that, it's going to be really valuable for them. So we help by helping to stabilize the business and the culture, right? If, if you're having a high churn environment, a lot of it's because there's too much work to get done, you know, people are burning out. So if we can come in and help get that work done, you're going to be able to retain those employees better. They're going to be happier. And we've seen that repeatedly where people come in and they're like, cool, we've solved our churn problem because you guys are helping out. And we do focus a lot on the less exciting work. We like the not sexy stuff. Let your FTEs do all the sexy work. We'll get the rest of it done. We're here to kind of get it done. So you've got that just, is there enough work or are there enough people to get the work done aspect of it? But then I think there's also the remote side of things, right? So moving remote gives you access to a more diverse workforce, period. We've seen this from day one. Our workforce from our internal measurement is representative of the U.S. population as a whole, not just the U.S. workforce, which skews whiter. Actually, I think the U.S. workforce skews a little more female than average, but it's very white. We're representative of the U.S. population. It's because we've been remote and we make it easy for people to work for us. And we take a data-driven approach to hiring. We're trying to remove conscious and unconscious bias from our hiring process by looking at people's skills. And if you do that, you kind of get that. What we're seeing is you get that that more diverse workforce kind of for free. Like you don't have to necessarily go out and hunt to find people. Now, at a senior executive level, yes, for sure, because the talent pipeline has been starved for decades of diverse talent. And probably a lot of diverse folks have been squeezed out of it. So there's a big opportunity, I think, for the whole industry to, to get better on, on that front. And staying remote is part of it, staffing appropriately. And then we're definitely here to help with all of it. Right. So I heard a few things there. First of all, if creative agencies want to mitigate talent churn, they need to hire work reduce, right? Is that, is that was your first point? Uh, 
No, you're Absolutely. Not okay, so, <laughs> and then I think, you know, the second piece, which most of our listeners know, I am also a diverse individual, is kind of thinking about different things that can kind of attract and retain diverse talent as well, which we know is really important, again, particularly within the creative agency space. And I just want to kind of double click on that a little bit, because back in December, you actually wrote what I thought was a fantastic article outlining the path forward for diversity within the ad industry specifically. And within that, you kind of brought up some really interesting points that I don't think had been articulated in that way previously. So first of all, you really highlighted that the model had been largely driven by low-cost recent college grads and concentrated in expensive areas like New York City and Los Angeles, which obviously we, we know to be true, you know, where I work is yep. on Madison Avenue, right? And so, and, and as many of us know, you know, entry-level jobs, particularly, again, in the creative agency space, have very, very low entry-level salaries. Let's, let's yep. say that, especially when you compare those with fields like consulting. You know, I've got friends at McKinsey, for example, and they were making 70 grand post-grad and they definitely thought I made the wrong decision <laughs> coming out of school. But, you know, in the long run, it works out. But, you know, I, I think that that's a really interesting point is to think about the salary that people get after graduating. And speaking of graduating, the cost of school, particularly in the U.S., is quite high, yeah. to say the least, right? And so if you couple the potentially having college debt with going into a field that doesn't really pay that much to help you pay down that debt immediately after school, that can cause an issue. And so what you also argued was that folks that have the luxury of leaving school debt-free, for example, or have financial help from families to allow them to, for example, pay their rent in big cities like New York and LA, as, as some of us know, you know, entry level salaries and creative agencies, you know, you're not living anywhere nice in, in, in any of those big cities for a while, to say the least. So, you know, that also you, you talk about how that can kind of contribute to a lack of diversity in the industry as well. And so you kind of equate a lot of those things as kind of the core reason why the ad industry is predominantly white, you know, and, and I'm very aware that you are a white guy and so is my co-host. But I think, you know, having allies and advocates and, and partners like you guys that are vocal about making a change and making a difference sort of in this space is, is very important. And so I'm just sort of really interested in what sure. you think can be done to address this and, and again, just better diversify the, the industry? Well, you know, I, I think there, there are good aspects of, the, of that industry, right? I, I think it's an industry where women have, I think, done better than some other industries, not maybe as well as they should. But if you look at the, you know, executive ranks of, of companies today, it's probably better than technology, right? You know, I would say, you know, as a, as a gay man, it's a pretty gay friendly industry. You know, it's not the energy industry, you know what I mean? So there yep. is an okay foundation to build on, but it is really not great in terms of racial diversity. I think there's an age bias issue as well. And studies show diverse businesses do better. It's just a fact. It's nothing to do with any kind of crazy liberal agenda. But if you've got diverse ways of thinking and diverse backgrounds, it's gonna work out, right? There's a lot behind it. And that's why, you know, 
every businesses of every stripe are, are, are pushing for it. So I think if you can work out some of the systemic issues, right? So where you're hiring from, the type profile person that you're kind of implicitly hiring, like we're talking about, uh, or like you just outlined, right? If you can work some of that out, it kind of opens up the aperture at the top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, you know, work to be done to correct it. I think it's even in the time I've been in the ad industry, I think it's gotten better. I think we are on a path to improvement. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, like I said before, going remote is going to help. It's going to... um, work out that kind of like, I got to live in New York issue. And that's, you know, you're only going to get the people who, you know, want to move to New York as a recent grad. So one of the things that we we've found also is our workforce is on average quite a bit older. So we attract people who are coming into the advertising world as a second career, for example, people who are returned to the workforce or, you know, people who maybe didn't have a career for a while. in any sense, right? And those are people who are coming in with a more mature outlook. They're coming in and they're really dedicated to their work. They've got Mm -hmm. something to prove. And sussing out that kind of talent, like panning for gold, finding the diamonds in the rough, it's really worthwhile. And to me, it starts with really looking at people for their skills and abilities and trying to work out the, you know, hey, where'd you go to school? you know, or are you close to our office issues? And it really is, it's going to show a benefit over time. By the way, David Ogilvy, I mean, advertising was like his sixth or seventh career. So yeah. uh, is that true? Yeah, yeah it was. He yeah. was, he did a lot. He was a door-to-door salesman and yeah, hmm. Ogilvy for a while. He's a but, by the way, I think what's interesting is that advertising is often seen as a great first career because, you know, you, right. life happens in an agency. But I think this is a very uh, interesting dare I say disruption that no, 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 advertising might be a good second career. And and I can see it being wonderful for you to recruit talent. Yeah, it's great. You know, I could bore you all day with stories about like people we find who think of the former professional video gamer living in his parents' basement in the Pacific Northwest, who turns out to be a killer analyst and, you know, is now working at, at a holding company agency, guys like that, people from trailer parks in Florida, really like, these are the best people we can find. Um, or, and, and these are the ones where the, yeah, I've got the CEO or, or CFO of a major agency, like giving me a hug when I'm walking down the halls and saying, find more people like that. Wow. You know, our, our cloning program is not that advanced yet, but we're, you know, we're working on it. We, we want to duplicate some of these folks, but we do, honestly, we do use some of those indicators to say, okay, Hey, are there things we can look for that are indicators of kind of overlooked talent yeah. uh, and then, and put that into our screening process. That's fantastic. I mean, you mentioned before work reduce is reflective of the U S population in, in terms mm. of kind of your, your makeup and, you know, job well done to you guys. So, you know, we're going to pivot a bit. This is the part of the show where we talk a little bit about you and your journey. And so, you know, you mentioned that you used to work at Nokia. You've, you've had a life before work reduce and, and curious as to, you know, what that life was and, and what the trigger was that caused you to start this company. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I used to be at my, at the start of my career, I was a software engineer and, you know, spent years and years writing code and, you know, early on in the kind of web 1.0 days. And it was kind of, boring and repetitive after a while. Right. You know, I mean, that's literally what I think of with code. It's like, (laughs) yeah, you know, you get seven or eight years into it and you're like, man, I was working on a problem like this, my my first day in the office. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, and here I still am. Um, Though even, you know, by the time we were 
doing it at, at Nokia, you know, we were doing it on a kind of global scale and putting mm-hmm. software in, into, uh, you know, a billion cell phones. And that's kind of cool. But on the other hand, you know, I've always been fascinated by starting businesses and, and just creating and building things. And so, you know, as I was working at you know, the company I was at before starting this, I just saw a lot of problems. We were working with artificial intelligence and bringing artificial intelligence into media buying. And I was working with actual rocket scientists, wow. right? Like people who had actually pushed the go button on an Atlas rocket. Wow. That's pretty cool, right? I didn't think and, you were going to go there. You were working with rocket oh, scientists? That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, they were actually, you know. And the problem is though, all the rocket science in the world isn't necessarily going to put your ad in the right place because there are so <laughs> many other external factors. And what I realized was I saw people in there using the system and kind of working around the rocket science in some cases and like doing all the lever flipping on their own and using their intuition and their skills and experience to make these ad campaigns work. And that really struck me that, hey, this isn't necessarily a software problem. There's a people problem here. Yeah. And you know, we got into a couple of really specific situations that crystallized it for me. Seeing quality assurance issues where, hey, forgot to run the QA checklist and we just blew through half a million bucks, right? Or having to walk away from very large deployment deals because the managed service aspect of it was so important because the client wanted to use the software but they didn't have the people and they wanted the people to come with it. Hey, we'll license this amazing rocket science software, but you got to give me a team of 50 people to operate it along with it and seeing us not be able to do that. So I went out and I just started messing around and building and I was amazed by what I found. Hmm. By by the way, the the reason why you saw that in advertising is because advertising is not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's brain surgery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Thank so you, Asha. That, you know, I, 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 I was working that one for a little bit. <laughs> so, so, all right. So, Brian, so you, so you have this epiphany as a software engineer, but even before that, we have to go back even further on your journey. What kind yeah. of kid were you? What, what kind of brainy stuff were you doing? I mean, you, you saw this huge nerd. I was a big. I've always been a big nerd. You know, I spent my childhood with my nose buried in a book. And if I wasn't doing that, I was playing with Legos. So yeah, I'm so always building like building stuff. and tinkering and taking things apart and putting them back together. I used to, you know, take apart the rotary phone and put it back together, much to my parents kind of uh, <laughs> dismay because the first couple of times it didn't go back together. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I was always there helping my dad put things together mm. and he would be trying to like follow the instructions and getting pissed off and swearing. And I'd be like, well, just, you know, do this. Right. So um, I've always loved to build stuff, right. Mm. Or, or take things apart. And so that's the kind of, I think, creative impulse for me that was like, I want to start a company. And I've tried a couple of times in the past and failed. You know, I tried right out of college, total disaster. I, you know, gave up really quickly, you know, four or five years into my career, I did a couple like really early stage startups that were just an absolute unmitigated disaster. I mean, I could just stories for days and I realized like, well, I better go and watch how this is done and did a couple of companies where I, I got to watch people kind of building them from scratch and was able to see a little bit about how they did it, how I'd want to do it. That's not how they did and, you know, figure out what my, my path forward would be. And, you know, ended up in doing what I'm doing now because in part, because I wanted to build something that wasn't super capital intensive, 
Hmm. right? Didn't want to necessarily sell my soul to a VC right away. But Hmm. yeah, there's been a lot of learning along the way. I'll say that. Very good. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to kind of see the journey, but you know, you kind of see how you went from kid and and you can kind of see how that could lead to programming, which could lead to, you know, it seems like you kind of also have always kind of had this interest in like streamlining efficiency. I could do this better. Like this could be better. Maybe, oh, yeah. You know? I'm just stubborn. I, you know, like I, I just want to do things my way. Yeah. It's more like it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that interested in efficiency. I just want to see it done right. You know what I mean? And I just I have strong opinions about things. So um, <laughs> this is a good job for somebody who has strong opinions and wants to put them into play because you're going to see if it works or not, you know, yeah. and like when you're in the driver's seat like this, there's nobody to blame. Early on in my career, I was like, oh, if only, if only X, Y, Z. And it's like, this idiot is doing these things wrong. And, you know, you get to a point where you realize there's nobody to blame. It just has to get done. And that's really, for me, that's really all, like fun and, and clarifying, sudden, you know what I mean? All of a sudden you're the boss. There's no more idiots, right? That, that's <laughs> no one alone. <laughs> <laughs> all, all fingers point at me, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's, you know, obviously difficult, but also a lot of fun and just, it's clarifying. Yeah. It's really clarifying. Okay. Last question before we switch over to advice, you talked uh, about how you're expanding globally and you guys are doing some great things at WorkReduce. Where's your favorite place to work remotely from? Oh man. What's my favorite place to work remotely from? I don't know yet. I'm still trying them all out. So right now, I, so I'm in, um, I'm in San Francisco right now. Normally I'm based in Boston, but I'm, I'm out here on the West coast so I can do some surfing. So right now it's anywhere I can surf. Ooh. So I've been, did some, I, I learned to surf in the fall. So I'm a newbie surfer. All right. Well, don't uh, really go, don't go over to Mavericks so quickly. I'm not headed for Mavericks. That looks really crazy. But you know, I, I surfed New England in the winter. So I did a bunch of like surf spots up and down the New England coast. That was pretty fun. I'm back in San Francisco where I first learned how to surf and, and enjoying it here. And I think I might head for El Salvador next uh, and try some surfing there and see a country I've never seen before. If it weren't for COVID, I'd probably be in Spain right now. I really, I love Spain. And unfortunately, things being what they are, it's not that easy to get there. So I would say way, uh, if, if I could, I'd be working. Spain would be the first choice. If, if I'll, I could. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, near, near El Salvador, fun fact, Costa Rica is one of the, I think maybe the only place where you can surf the Atlantic in the morning and the Pacific in the afternoon. Uh, is that true? I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. I, I like Costa Rica. I've been there before. Yeah. I, I love, you know, Central American, Latin American culture. I really like. So great, hardworking people. Fantastic. All right. Well, I I think on advice, I want to raise this issue, Asha, if I may. So the in-house agency model that we were all talking about, whatever it was, two years ago, three years ago, it's under threat now. There's been a number of articles that CMOs are rethinking this in-house model. So what advice do you have for a CMO on, you know, how they should be staffing you know, what, Great question. What, should their, what should their in-house model look like now that it's dying and the agencies like roaches have survived? <laughs> yeah. Well, agencies are never going anywhere. I think we can all say that there's a place for them, especially for large enterprises. You know, large enterprises are allergic to headcount. And uh, that's why an outsourced model like mine is, is really you know, prominent in, in, a, in a lot of big Fortune 500 companies. For CMOs, I think 
In-housing has never really been, I think, a fully in-house model. Like nobody's really, almost, almost nobody's ever recreated the entire agency thing in-house. It's always been like, well, you know, I brought the software contracts in-house and then I've got this outside firm pulling the levers. Is that in-housing? Yeah, it's, it's exercising more control. I like to think of in-housing or what's really behind in-housing as an unbundling of the agency model. Agencies are offering you this kind of full service thing. Well, let's take it apart. I love taking stuff apart, you know, <laughs> and we'll take the pieces that we want in-house that could be really valuable for us. So we focus primarily on media buying. So we talk to people who are, are working that side of it. And sometimes you have a enterprise culture or a, a company that is really great at analytics. Hey, we've got this amazing data infrastructure. And I love all my agency clients dearly. Not all of them are like super rock star analytics, you know, organizations. I've seen some of this stuff under the hood, right? So it's easy, I think, for a company to say, hey, here's a piece of it that I'm going to be really good at. Maybe it's creative production. Maybe they can produce creative really great, but there's all this other stuff that they're never going to want. So I think that's the opportunity from both the buyer and the seller side to say, let's rethink what the offering is. Let's let people pick it a little bit a la carte to be able to get to something that's overall more efficient for everybody. Agencies are amazing at staying on top of trends, no matter what, like, like they're, they're never not going to be good at that. That's what agencies are all about. Like we're, we're talking to all the vendors, we're going out to lunch, we're going to the shows, we're like talking to people. And I think in-house operations it's really hard for them to stay abreast of things. So there's always a, I think, consulting angle that's never going to go away. There's always going to be a need for that. And then I think there, there's also just, you know, operationally, there's always going to be things operationally that it's going to be tough to bring in-house. So I, I think of it as, it's not that it's in-housing is, is under threat. I think we're starting to peel back some of the just hype and talk and see it for what it really is. All right, very good. So, so rethink in housing with some uh, some cogent thinking. Not Take all needs to be in the house, and maybe there's some stuff that uh, is really good to have in the house. Figure out what you're good at. Figure out what you're good at, and and lean into that, or what you want to be, what you aspire to be good at, and then lean on an agency for everything else. That is some advice right there. We are clipping that. That's it, Asha and Rashida. I'm, I'm feeling a magic quote on that one. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was great, Brian. You're, uh, you're a very smart and uh, I think a very helpful person in the world today. So we really appreciate uh, you being on the podcast and sharing uh, your stuff with us. Thanks, guys. It was fun talking to you both. Thank you, Brian. Thanks so much for joining. And to our listeners, make sure you remember to follow the Disruptor Series on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.